This past January, pre-COVID, I was prepping for At The Movies. At The Movies is a series that we do every year based upon recent movies. We use those recent movies to teach biblical truth. We had to cancel it this year because we had canceled our services back in March and April when we are going to have At The Movies. But as I was watching movies, preparing for this sermon series, one of the movies that I watched was the movie Harriet. How many of you have seen the movie Harriet, if you've seen the movie, raise your hand. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You need to either rent or buy the movie Harriet. It's an incredible movie. It will bless your heart. It's based upon a true story, the life of Harriet Tubman, who was born a slave, who saw firsthand and experienced firsthand the cruelty of slavery, who escaped slavery and became a leader in the Underground Railroad. She led 13 raids or, or, I guess, freedom expeditions into the South and freed over 70 slaves. I think all of you know that, that slavery is an ugly part of our nation's past, our, our, our nation's history. At the time of the Civil War, there were close to 4 million slaves in America. But what you need to understand this morning is that slavery isn't the sin of one race. Slavery isn't the sin of one nation, but rather all races, all nations. Because every race, every nation, throughout the time of human history has been a part of slavery. And it's only the power of the gospel, the power of the cross, that will ever set humanity free from the sin of slavery. Now this morning, we're going to look at a passage that, to be honest with you, most teachers, when they come to this passage, they either skip over this passage or they move immediately to what they believe is the present day application without dealing with the context of the passage. And the reason that they do that is because the context, to be quite honest with you, is messy. And if you really understand the context and understand what Paul is saying here, it raises some questions in our mind, especially if we don't dig deep into the passage. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to focus on verses 5 through 9. Now let me remind you, we're in a series that we have called Power Walking because we are looking at at what God says in His Word our walk will look like if our life has been influenced by the gospel. And we're focusing on Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. So listen to what God's Word says in Ephesians chapter 6 beginning... In verse 5, Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And let me stop there for just a second because if you're following this passage and you've been following along with us as we've gone through this section, especially in Ephesians chapter 5, you will notice that, that what Paul says here to a slave is very similar to what Paul says to a wife. And so he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, 
not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Now, if your Bible is open and you've got a pen or a highlighter, you need to highlight or underline that phrase. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. We'll come back to that. But that's vitally important. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now, many of the translations of this text and other texts like this in the New Testament translate that word slave as servant. And so when they teach on this passage, when they talk about this passage, they immediately go to an employee and an employer relationship. But what you need to understand is that's not the word that is used here. The word that is used here is the Greek word doulos. It's the word for slave. And you need to think of a slave in this context the same way that you would think of any slave throughout human history. You see, the only difference in a slave, regardless of when they lived in history, is not the culture in which they lived, but the master in which they had. Because if somebody was a slave, they had no rights. They had no privileges. They were at the beck and the call of their master. Now, I think it's important that you understand that that this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 isn't the only place that this is dealt with in the New Testament. The, The reality is this is dealt with in a number of places. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1, Paul talks about pretty much the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 and 21, Paul says this. He says, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. In other words, when you were saved, whatever state you were in when you were saved, stay that way. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. In other words, what Paul is saying is if you're a slave, You just honor God with the situation you have. But if the opportunity for freedom comes your way, then you sure enough better take it. He deals with this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, Peter says this. He says, you who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Now, there is no way, listen, there is absolutely no way that we can read these passages in the New Testament in the context of our day, knowing our history as a nation and the things that we've gone through as a nation without feeling a little uncomfortable. I mean, we're reading about slaves and we're reading about masters and we, we know how people were treated in America because of the color of their skin and how they were taken from other countries and, and sold into slavery in our country. And so we read passages like this and we begin to wonder, does the Bible condone slavery? Is that what it's doing Or does the Bible condemn slavery? Or or does the Bible just not take a stand on slavery one way or the other? And so to answer those questions from a biblical perspective, 
I'm going to give you three truths this morning that I believe, I want you to listen to me, that I believe can help you frame a biblical worldview when it comes to slavery and what God's view of slavery is. Here's truth number one. Slavery has been around since the fall of man and will be around until Jesus comes back and redeems all of creation. Let me say that again. Slavery has been around since the fall of man and will be around until Jesus comes back and redeems all of creation. As long as there is sinful man, there will be slavery. Mark my word, write it in your notebook. As long as there is sinful man on planet earth, and there will be until Jesus redeems everything, there will be slavery. The first mention of slavery in the Bible doesn't actually use the word but it gives us an example of slavery. It is found in Genesis chapter 14. There is this war that is taking place, and Lot, Abraham's nephew, gets caught up in the war, and his side loses. And so Lot and his family and everything that Lot owns is taken into slavery as a captive of that battle. You see, back in that day, when kingdoms went to battle, when people went to battle, uh, the winning side would either kill you or take you into slavery. Uh, They wouldn't leave you just to continue your life like you were living before. Uh, They would kill you and, and, or take you into slavery and take everything you had with them. So that's the first example. The second example is one chapter later in Genesis chapter 15. God is dealing with the covenant that he is making with Abraham, the one that that is ultimately going to be the seed through which Jesus comes. And God gives Abraham a promise that he's going to bless Abraham. But in that blessing, he also gives him a promise that his people, the Israelites, will go into slavery in a foreign country for 400 years. We are told that Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Did you hear that? Now, I had some tussles with my brother, but I hope he would never sell me into slavery. Solomon, who is the son of David, the man after God's own heart, the one the Bible says had this wisdom that was more than any man ever had, said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 7, I bought male and female slaves. And I also had home-born slaves. What that is saying is, Solomon bought slaves. He bought male slaves. He bought female slaves. And there were other slaves that were born into his household. That's what the Word of God says. When God's people, the Israelites, sinned against God, God brought the Assyrians and the Babylonians at different times to come into Israel, into Judah, and they took the people of God into slavery. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all slaves in Babylon that God used to influence the culture of Babylon. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. History records that every major culture has engaged in slavery. Aristotle 
who was the Greek philosopher, said this. A slave is a living tool just like a tool is an inanimate slave. We read things like that and we wonder, how in the world can an educated person say something like that? But that was Aristotle, the Greek philosopher that is called the father of philosophy with Socrates. Gaius, a Roman lawyer, said this. We may note that it is universally accepted that the master possesses the power of life and death over a slave. And so in the Roman Empire, a master possessed the power to give life or the power to give death to anyone that was a slave of theirs. Another prominent Roman writer said this, whatever a master does to a slave deservedly, in anger, willingly, unwillingly, in forgetfulness after careful thought, knowingly, unknowingly, is judgment, justice, and law. And this is the culture into which Paul was called to be a missionary. This was the culture into which Paul planted churches. This was the culture in which Paul's life was changed. History tells us that at this time, there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 60 million. But what you need to understand is that slavery had nothing to do with your race. You became a slave for one of several reasons. If your people were conquered, you were either killed or you became a slave. If you owed a debt that you could not pay, you became a slave. If you you could not take care of yourself, you could give yourself into slavery into another person, to another person. So there were a variety of ways that you could become a slave in Paul's day. But, But slavery didn't end when the church was born. It continued throughout human history. The English word slave comes from the word Slav, Slavic. Slavic people were Eastern European people who were taken into captivity by Muslims in Spain in the ninth century. They were Slavs, hence we get the word slave. Thomas Sowell, who was a Harvard-educated, distinguished professor of economics at Stanford University. This is a smart guy. He's also an African-American. He has written a book. I don't like the, um, the title of the book, but, um, but it's a catchy title. But the book is entitled Black Rednecks and White Liberals. And um, in his book, he says this. Remember, this is a Harvard-educated African-American. He said, of all the tragic facts about the history of slavery... The most astonishing to an American today is that although slavery was a worldwide institution for thousands of years, nowhere in the world was slavery a controversial issue prior to the 18th century. People of every race and every color were enslaved and enslaved others. Did you get that? People of every race and every nation enslaved and were enslaved. He goes on to say that white people were still being bought and sold as slaves in the Ottoman Empire decades after American blacks were freed. This is what he said in his book. He said, Europeans enslaved Europeans. Asians enslaved Asians. Native Americans enslaved Native Americans. Africans enslaved Africans. That was just the way it was. When you fought against a people and you conquered them, 
you took them into slavery. And then he goes on to say this. He says, everyone hated the idea of being a slave. Who wouldn't? I mean, who would want to be a slave? But then he said, but few had any qualms about enslaving others. Did you get that? Everyone hated the idea of being a slave, but very few people had a problem with enslaving other people. Let me give you a few truths that you may or may not know. The truth is, when the African slave trade began, it began with Africans selling other Africans into slavery. It was not until after that that the Portuguese began to come in and kidnap and capture Africans. The Arabs had their own slave trade where they would take people from Africa and take them to the Arab countries. Between 1500 and 1800, over one million Europeans were enslaved by North African pirates. Have any of you heard the name William Ellison? Any of you heard that name? William Ellison, if you're a historian, you may know the name William Ellison. William Ellison was a slave here in South Carolina who became free. He bought a cotton gin, became very wealthy. But what is amazing is that he was the largest black slave owner in South Carolina. He had 171 slaves, or excuse me, he had 63 slaves. Of all of the black slave owners, there were 171 black slave owners in South Carolina. He was the largest black slave owner. Now, why do I say that? I say that simply to tell you that slavery... Until the Civil War and until white people wanted to keep black people in line, slavery had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with the fallen nature of man. We enslaved one another. We always have. We always will. Did you know that today, worldwide, there are over 40 million slaves. Did you know that? There are over 40 million slaves worldwide. Most of them are women and children who have been sold into either sex trafficking, forced marriages, or hard labor. 40 million. Sudan today has 10 to 12,000 slaves. Most of them are Christians who have been enslaved by Muslims. You see, there are some that think that we as a people have outgrown slavery. That, that people today wouldn't do anything so barbaric. And I'm here to tell you that people that believe that are living in a fantasy world. Given enough power, sinful man will always enslave those who are less powerful than them or are not like them. Did you hear me? Given enough power... Sinful man will always enslave those who are less powerful or not like them. Thomas Sowell wrote an opinion piece in the Dallas Morning News several years ago. And in that opinion piece, this is what he said. He said, if the history of slavery ought to teach us anything, it is that human beings cannot be trusted with unbridled power 
over other human beings. No matter what color or creed any of them are, the history of ancient despotism and modern totalitarianism practically shouts that same message from the blood-stained pages of history. I want you to listen very carefully. Slavery has been around since the fall of man. And slavery will be around until Jesus comes back and makes everything new. Revolts will not remove slavery. Rebellion will not remove slavery. Revolts and rebellion may change what slavery looks like. Revolts and rebellion may change who the master is and who the slave is. But understand, those things will never remove slavery. They will never change slavery because slavery is ingrained in the human heart. So that's point number one. Here's the second truth you need to understand. The only cure for slavery is the gospel. The only cure for slavery is the gospel. I want you to look again at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. This is so important. He said, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, when they're looking, but, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now notice what it says. How are the slaves to treat their masters? Paul uses word like, words like obey and respect and serve wholeheartedly. But then notice what he says in verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. Did you get that? Did you hear that? Paul is saying to the master, you are to treat your slave in the same way that you want your slave to treat you. You are to do unto others as you want them to do unto you. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. Just because you are in a position of authority doesn't give you the right to take advantage or mistreat anyone. As a follower of Jesus Christ, anyone who is under your authority should be treated in the way that you want to be treated, regardless of whether they're your brother or not. You see, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel really does change everything. The gospel changes the way we see people. The gospel changes the way we treat people. The gospel changes the way we interact with people. We see people not as tools to be used, but people to be loved. And let me tell you, not in the Roman Empire, not in the world, because as long as there is sinful man, there will be slavery. But in the life of the people of God, 
The gospel changed slavery. And eventually the gospel eradicated slavery. Because you no longer were looking at each other as property, but as brothers. In the Bible, there's a book, Philemon. It's one chapter long. Philemon was a Christian. He owned slaves. He had a slave, Onesimus, who ran away. What you need to understand is that in Roman culture, if a slave ran away, one of two things happened. They were branded with an F on their forehead that was the Greek word for fugitive, or they were killed. That's what happened to a slave. When Onesimus ran away, he crossed paths with Paul. His life was changed. He became a follower of Jesus. Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon. And when he did... He told Philemon, no longer treat him as a slave, but treat him as a beloved brother. And then Paul said this. He said, because of everything that you owe me, I could command you to let him come back to me. But rather, I'm going to ask you to let him come back to me. You see what Paul was doing? Paul was allowing the gospel to change the heart and the life of a person. One day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything new. And in heaven there are going to be people from every race and every nation and every tribe and every tongue worshiping together and there will be no slavery, there will be no racism But until that day comes, you and I, who are followers of Jesus, are called to change the world in which we live. We may not, and the truth be told, we will not change the world because the Bible makes it clear that the world's going to get worse before Jesus comes back. Listen, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. People are going to become more barbaric. Barrack, more hateful, more evil, more wicked, not better, but the good news is for you and I whose hearts have been changed by the gospel, we can change our world, amen? And that's what we're called to do. And that's what Paul called the believers to do. Now, did Paul just overlook slavery? Absolutely not. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, when Paul is listing various sins, one of the sins that he listed is slave trading. He listed it as a sin. This was a sin. It was to be condemned. It was evil. It was wicked. The Word of God condemns it. Paul recognized that a human heart is never changed by laws. A human heart is changed by the gospel. Truth number one. As long as there is sinful man, there will be a problem with slavery. Truth number two, it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that slavery can ever be eradicated. And truth number three, we are called to be slaves to Christ. Slaves had no rights. Slaves had no privileges. Anything that a slave had was given to them by their master. And the Bible says that we are to be slaves to Christ. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, after Paul said in verse 21 that if you're free when you become a believer, stay that way. If you're a slave when you become a believer, stay that way. But if you have the opportunity for freedom, take it. In the next verse, this is what Paul said. He said, and remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you. Don't be enslaved by the world. The writers of the New Testament, almost every one of them identified themselves as slaves to Christ. Paul, in every letter he wrote, said, Paul, a slave to Jesus Christ. Peter, when he wrote his two epistles, said, Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote his letter, started off with this citation, James, a slave of Jesus Christ. Jude, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. What did these men know? They knew that to become a follower of Jesus was to give up all rights. All privileges. Your life is not your own. It belongs to Christ. And that's what we're called to do. You see, being a Christian is giving up everything to follow Jesus. There there is none of this easy, cheap believism where you pray a simple prayer, you get dunked in the water, you leave never to come back again, you leave never change, you leave and your life is no different. There's none of that. In the Bible, when you became a follower of Jesus, you became a slave to Christ. Gave up your rights. Everything you had belonged to him. Everything you were belonged to him. Your life, it was his. Your possessions, they were his. Your time, it was his. You were his slave. And let me tell you, when we get to the point in our life where we realize it's not about us, it's about Jesus, it will not only affect the way that we serve him, it will affect the way we look at other people. And that will change everything. And understand, if there was a time in our nation since the Civil War, I wasn't there. Since the Civil Rights Movement, I was a kid. I mean, a little kid as we were going through that. I wasn't there. I, don't, I, I can read about those times, but I wasn't, I wasn't in those times but I'm in these times. And I just got to tell you, it seems we're more divided than we've been. And we as believers, we need to let the gospel change the way we react with people. Because politicians, they're not going to do it. It doesn't matter whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they're not going to do it. Because most of them are sinful people that have selfish, sinful hearts, regardless of what you believe. The only thing that's going to change our culture is the gospel. And we're called to share it, we're called to live it, and we're called to give ourselves to it. So have you? If you're here and you haven't become a slave to Christ, I beg you, 
I beg you. Give your life to Jesus. Because when you do, it will change everything about you. You'll begin to look at people differently. You'll begin to look at situations and circumstances differently. Let me pray for us. Father God, forgive us for selfish, self-centered hearts. Lord, I know that apart from the power of the gospel, I could be as evil and wicked as any man in human history. I know that I could do awful, terrible things. I'm so thankful that the power of the gospel, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ radically changed my heart. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're still changing my heart. And I pray, Father, that you will change every heart in this room. Till you come back and you make everything new, I pray, Father, that we will seek to make earth a picture of heaven. Lord, I pray that anyone here who hasn't given their heart to you, their life to you, surrendered they're all to you. I pray right now your Holy Spirit will convict them. And Lord, they will run and find somebody to say, hey, what do I need to do to give my life to Jesus? Oh, Lord God, do it. Grant it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.